0: Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson.
1: And my friend, Pepper Sweeney.
0: Where we discover and explore what it means to be truly known. On today's podcast, we are going to be continuing our discussions on the nine domains of integration. And today, we are going to be talking about the interpersonal domain. And uh, Kurt is going to explain why there is no I in interpersonal.
1: Well, there's the first letter, there's yes. the, but, but other, after, after that, <laughs> other than and, that, it's just it's just a single I. Uh, I should change it yeah. to
0: winter personal, so it's a we at the top. I think that would be a, that is, that a more, is more nice. precise description. It's the winter personal domain. <laughs>
1: the the winter personal, makes... my discontent.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> Every time when we get together and record, you experience that, I think? <laughs> Gosh, are you people listening to this? Oh, my gosh.
1: man, My friend, Pepper Sweeney. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, we're, friend, hey, we're, dude. we're friends like me. Yes. <laughs> we're going to ask you something. Hey, okay, yes, I was. Dude. Yeah. I saw the picture of the lawnmower. Yes. It's like, you were back at it. I am back, baby. Tell us about it. Tell us about well, it. So uh,
0: I got the call yesterday, uh, two days ago, that the part came in and it was it was ready to go. And Junior brought it over and dropped it off for me. It's running like a top, and uh, I got out there and and cut it. I didn't have to push it for the third time, which made me really <laughs> happy, and didn't have to ask for help from anybody. You know, uh, last week. Uh, when we were recording and some of these, some of the recordings we do. So we, we put this also up on YouTube if if you guys don't know that, but we put it also up on YouTube and there's usually some bonus material that doesn't get in the podcast that ends up on the, the YouTube. So you might want to check that out. But anyway, last week, Kurt asked me when we weren't, we weren't recording on, on audio, but it was after the podcast. He asked me, he challenged me. He said, I have a challenge for you because the lawnmower hadn't come back yet. He said, I challenge you, the challenge for you is to go and ask Willie to cut your grass for you. That's right. That's Which right. I said, you're out of your mind. You are completely, <laughs> you must not nothing know like, me at all. Because, nothing
1: like a shrink who's out of his mind.
0: Oh, exactly. And I got to deal with it. It's just not fair. I, I, get, I get the one shrink as a friend who's out of his mind. You know? I don't need more challenges in my life, by the way. I got enough. Just on the daily. Now I gotta I'm here go to help you, my brother. You know, it 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 is interesting. It's very telling about me because when you said that to me, what came up in uh, me was like, there is no possible way I'm gonna do that. There's yeah, no way yeah. that I could uh, do that, and yeah. it, it's. It's obviously something that I need to work on. I just don't want to work on it in that way. I want to take some, right. yeah. some other steps.
1: <laughs> I'm going I'm to find someone to come over and borrow your mower for a couple of weeks so that you can't find it. And you're going to have to ask Willie to mow your ground. And you know what?
0: He would do it. I had the opportunity to I – I, I saw him out the other day and had the opportunity just to go over and just tell him how grateful I was and explain mm-hmm. to him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, if you all didn't hear the last episode – Go back and listen to it. And you understand what we're talking about. Yeah. But to, to just thank him because he didn't know that what was happening with me. He didn't know that my back huh. had gone out. He didn't wow. know that um, wow. my lawnmower was, you know, he just knew, he just saw that I had stopped cutting with my push mower. The grass was really high and I left. And so he just came over and, wow. and took care of wow. it. So And, and oh, yeah. he would, if honestly, he, the amount of times that he says to me, if you need anything, all you got to do is ask. If you did anything, mm, all you got to mm, do is ask. Mm, and mm. I've I've admittedly always had, you know, a hard time asking for help in life, just no matter no matter yeah. what it's been. I've, it's, it's, it's a challenge for me.
1: Yeah, So. yeah. Well, it reminds me of, you know, Jesus' words when he says, the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. Hmm. And of course, you know, growing up in my little Quaker community, I'm thinking like, well, you know, it's not my job to ask. People can ask me for things. I'm more than happy to help if you ask me, but like, I'm not going to ask for help because yes. of course I'm going to be putting them out or I'm going to be revealing that I'm not working hard enough to do what I, what I can do for myself. Right. The whole, you know, the whole sense of, and, and not just because we were Quakers, but I mean, because you know, we, we were troubled you know mm. I mean? because we are, I mean, I, I think of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do? And, you know, Jesus says like, well, you know, go sell everything you have. The point not being that your wealth is a problem in and of itself, but the point being that the problem is that you only understand life in terms of what you're going to do to make it happen. And The whole notion that the first item of business of life is to allow yourself to be loved in order for your work then to be a complete response to someone else's delight in you as opposed to the other way around that I'm working 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 just so that I can make sure that God is at the very you know least isn't pissed at me at the very most he you know he might you know he might see me and like let me into his life and Jesus is saying that's not the way this works that's not the way the world is made just kind of like you know if Today, uh, as we're recording, I'm in my office because I have a meeting right after this. And so I'm here in the office and I'm in the ninth floor. We're on the ninth floor of this building where we are. And I look out, I just look at at this just tree line that goes forever out in Northern Virginia. And it's just massively beautiful. We see the weather coming in from the west here. And it'd be kind of like, if I just decided, you know, I just want to get to my car in the parking lot by stepping out of my ninth floor window. And you know, that's just not the way the world is made. I, I might want to do that. And if I did that, I'd get to my car really quickly, but you, would. It, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't realize it when I arrived. And th- that, would be, that would be a problem. And this is what we want to do. Like we want to live in the world, but not according to the way the world is actually made to work. And the world is made to work in such a way that the first thing I do coming out of the uterus is I'm looking for someone looking for me, mm. as we like to say, I'm looking to be loved. And we often forget that in order for me to give into the world, for me to create beauty and goodness in the world, I first have to receive it. I can't give what I don't have. And that leads us right into our conversation today about the interpersonal domain of integration. This this sense that we are that, we are a, we let us make mankind in our image. We read in the Genesis 1 text that this God of a plural relationship that we who are followers of Jesus talk about this Trinitarian God, this Father, Son, and Spirit relationship that reaches back into history and says, let us make mankind in our image. And so from the very beginning, we have been made in such a way that to fully bear God's image means that I don't ever do that by myself. I as a self, as an individual, like, I'm part of that story, and I need, to do, I, I need to be able to bring myself to the table. But myself is only, actually, only fully known when I see myself in your eyes, when I hear my story in your voice. And, you know, we, we were made this way, but, you know, then Genesis 3 comes along, after Genesis 1 and 2, and the whole issue of shame, Separates us, sends us to our respective corners of the ring. And we, for you know, from then on are kind of walking through life. And it's very easy for me to believe that, like, I am in the world and I'm kind of alone and I have to figure out what I'm going to do. And I want to get you to cooperate with me. But I don't often think that much in terms of being with you. I might have to work to get together with you, but I don't imagine that, no, we were made connected. The question is, am I able to allow God to heal my shame so that I can actually see that that's the way the world really is and has always been that way? We talk not just about what what we call sin, this brokenness, this separation from one another has led us to imagine that I don't live in the world with others, this withness and we-ness that we like to talk about. But I I live as if I'm on my own. My anxiety tells me that I'm on my own. My anxiety tells me that I'm anticipating being alone, alone with what I feel and what I think. And we've also culturally kind of strengthened that notion of being alone. We we live with this this, you know, this strange kind of combination of wanting to be more connected, for instance, through social media. We have greater opportunity to see more things, be connected to people and so forth in a certain way. But we know that the data is clear that in the last 10 to 15 years, we've become increasingly disconnected from one another, pushing against the grain of how the world is actually made. And so in some respects, we're all thinking that we can just step outside of the window of our ninth floor offices and get to the parking lot without any trouble. This is kind of how we're living. And I think the results are kind of like that, like when we see, and then you get a pandemic that gets thrown into all that. And this whole notion that we are a people who are together, the question is, am I able to see that and join with you in that regard, is really an important part of what our mission in life is to be about. For us to create beauty and goodness in the world, I often think I'm on my own to do that when in fact I only do that most powerfully with you. And I I think for instance like this podcast is an example of that. Like it it has just been so life giving to me to work with you and Amy and we just, you know, get a little greeting for Rachel who developed, you know, the our logo and for Noah who's doing the music. I mean All of this withness that together uh, brings forth all this beauty.
0: Yeah. When you were talking about um, culture and how our culture has set this up, I thought you were going to say, and I want to ask you if you think this is true, that specifically here in the West, you know, there is this sort of spirit of of I can do it on my own, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the John Wayne kind of, you know, drive it and I don't need anybody. And I know that for me, you know, I can remember times even in my career as a young actor out in Los Angeles where people would actually say, I want to help you. And I would mm-hmm. think they don't really want to help me. And I want to do it on my own merit. I, I don't, I don't, right. I want to, sh- I want them to hire me because of my talent, because of who I am, not because this person's going to help me. It was crazy making, you know, That's when right. I look back on it,
1: but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think too, Pepper, um, about our, like, I think about our, our practice here that we have, uh, we are, there are now, um, eight of us here that are working um, and it's, it is a, uh, it is a sight to behold this group of clinicians. They're just, uh, they're smart, they're savvy, they're, they're really, f- they're funny. They're really f- far funnier than me, which is, you know, uh, it's, it's, which isn't saying much. You could be far funnier than me. And like, it's like, if you're, if you're more than zero, you're just a lot more, you know?
0: It's like saying they're far smarter than me. <laughs>
1: And, you know, I, I have these, I have these moments where I feel, you know, when, when they say, no, Kurt, we'd like you to, we, we want to, we want to do this and this and this Mm -hmm. different, and we want, so that you can be kind of cut loose to do what only you can do. And I, you know, the generosity of spirit of the folks with whom I work is, you just can't measure it. Like they're, they're just unbelievable. And at the same time, I'm like, no, no, because I know at some point I'm, I'm going to like, I'm not, I'm not pulling my weight. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I know that's what they're telling me, but secretly they're all going off and having a private meeting in which they're saying other things about me. Of course, again, you know, the the, the paranoia just expands in my head. Right. But, but this sense that like, just like you're saying, like, no, I want to do this on my own merit. I like, I can put my pants on by myself. And if I can't, then there's, then, then shame finds a foothold. And what's so striking is that they would say to me my my colleagues would say to me, kurt, you, you often don't get it like when you don't let us do this, you don't let us do what we really want to do and what we are actually made to do like i'm we're actually made to help you do what you do and because you help us do what we do, and there are other things that they do that i don't that I don't do that they're really good at." And it's still this thing that's banging around in my head that I have to do this by myself.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a, I've, I've gotten better at it. I can remember when when Nell was pregnant with our with Coleman, you know, our our first, mm-hmm. um, and she was put on bed rest for like four months, and we were living in California, no family around or anything, mm-hmm. um, and our church community. And friends, and you know, started calling and saying we want to bring meals. And I'm like, no, I got this. I got this. No, I don't. I don't. Thanks. We're we're fine. I don't need any help. And I got to the point where I was just, I was broken. <laughs> I, I, could, I I couldn't oh. keep it up anymore. Oh. and oh. and so somebody was wise enough to see and said, look, we're we're bringing it. You can't. And they started a, <laughs> started a meal chain, and other, and all, you know it all. And I had to accept the help then. And yeah, and I saw. Mm -hmm. the joy that they had when they brought stuff over and were able to help. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, it is, I have responsibility in this because it's not just about, it can't just be a, I can't feel shame in taking the help because that not only hurts me, but it hurts them because they're wanting to do it and I'm refusing them.
1: Right. It is a, uh, you know, you know, Pepper, we, we've talked about attachment here Mm -hmm. and I think on other episodes, we'll come back and, and, look at that even more closely. But one of the things that we recognize, you know, that attachment, uh, you all have heard us talk about this notion that there is what we call secure attachment, and then we have these three different insecure forms of attachment. And one finds that with secure attachment, this sense of being connected to the other person and, and one's awareness that we need the other person's Brain to help us regulate our emotional states. And as we get older, we find that we become that for other people as well. We move from being able to take that from our parents to then as we get to be adolescents and we start to share that with our peer group. And then as we become older adults, we may have younger friends or we may have children of our own that we are now being the outside brain for. But this whole process is a really robust way of us living in this world of we-ness and withness, this sense of collaborative, this interpersonal, right, that we are embodied and relational minds, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, which includes our embodied self and the embodied self of others with whom we are loving God together. But with insecure attachment... We have an almost infinite array in which our sense of we goes off kilter. We've talked about an insecure and avoidant form, which is that form in which emotion isn't something that I really need. I don't really get much out of it, so I don't, I don't pay that much attention to it consciously. It doesn't mean that I'm not experiencing it. I've just cut off my capacity to be aware of it. I don't use it very well. And so I learn that I can get through the world without the other. I just got to, like, bear down and get it done. I'm going to rich, young ruler it. I'm just going to go find out from God what God needs me to do for him, and then I'm going to do it, then I'm going to get what I need at the end of the day. And so in that sense, I also isolate myself. I am disconnected from the world. If we are insecure and anxiously attached or insecure and ambivalently, that's the other word, ambivalently attached, then... I'm also like emotion is in the room. I'm paying attention to it, but I can't really trust that you are either going to not leave me or I can't trust that you're not going to be too intrusive. So I'm constantly kind of like having to keep my eye out for where you are always anxious about your being too far away or too close, but I can't just exhale. Like, if you're within, you know, 100 yards, I got to worry that you're going to be 200 yards away. But if you get closer than 100 yards, you know how this goes. But either way, I see myself as over here having to manage you over there. I don't see us as being this collaborative community together. I don't see how I'm not able to exhale in your presence and just trust that if you want to help me, I'm going to say yes, because of course there's no anxiety that gets created because like, oh my gosh, like you're getting too close. Right. Right, because this is what someone does. If someone, if someone comes and offers you a meal, like, you know, Nell's had a baby and you know, you're working and like, Nell's like, what do you mean you're not taking the meal? Like, like take the meal. I want to eat. I no, want to eat your cooking. Right. It's true. Take the, take the dang meal, right? But. The, the point being that, like, I'm still living as if, like, I'm on my own. Right. And in both cases, both what we call ambivalent and avoidant, there is a certain anxiety that emerges. With the avoidant person, they're not necessarily aware of it, but they act it out. And with the anxious person, they're much more consciously aware of their anxiety. But in either, in either case... They're living a lot of life, anticipating the future as one in which they're alone, but they also live right now as if they are also disconnected from others. And you know, this is this. Then, even when it comes to healing, people come into the office all the time, and they want to know, well, Kurt, what 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 are you know you and I going to do so that, so that I can be helped? Because their assumption is that they are responsible for their well-being, for their healing. And of course they come to see the doctor, they come to see the psychiatrist or the or the internist or the surgeon and they come, they come to get help so that they can then go home and do it on their own. Because that is what we are anticipating. You know, we like to um every now and then again we we, we like to talk about physics here on our podcast this is why this is why most people are tuning in
0: this is where you turn
1: it over to me right that's right exactly so take it away
0: the physics of silence <laughs> let's just all listen for a minute
1: dude you have no <laughs> you have no idea we're gonna do it we're gonna do an episode on this okay i i hope amy is taking notes because we're gonna do an episode on silence
0: well you and, be,
1: and, and you can imagine how exciting that episode is going to be, yes. folks.
0: Well, we've done some yes. some silent work together. We've done some, I mean, you know, I've, I've been in events where Kurt would be up speaking and he would take these pauses. And, yeah. and I would be directing the event and I'd be getting really anxious because I think, okay, <gasps> did he have a stroke? <laughs> Are we, you know, or he'd be, it'd be t- his time to go up, but he would just be waiting <laughs> un- until he was ready. And until the rest of the room was uncomfortable and my anxiety levels are going up because I can't get across the room to him to cue him. And then he would go up and I would be able to breathe again.
1: <laughs> Bro. I'm, I'm just, I, I think I was just reinforcing that we it's, it's a we like we are yes, together, like, we. like like we are, we are connected to each other. Okay. So let's talk about the Heisenberg principle then for yeah. just a moment. If okay. We can. Please. I know that you all have been waiting with bated breath for this very moment, the Heisenberg principle. Heisenberg was a physicist who kind of ran around with, you know, Einstein and a couple of other rather dull characters. And he formulated this idea that, you know, you, you hear about this in science circles, This this notion that, you know, if you're going to do an experiment, this notion that if you want to observe the experiment, whether it's a chemical reaction, whether it's, a group of people in the room, whatever it is that because of quantum mechanics, this sense that like if you, if you, were, to, if you were to, you know, we, we have these individual bodies, but you break down these bodies into molecules and molecules into atoms and, and then you, it just goes into the, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller particles. And before you know it, you recognize that the boundaries between things that seem to be so plainly boundaryed off are not quite so clear. And you come to discover that if you're in a room, quite technically, from a quantum mechanic standpoint, your very presence, even though like I'm over here and I'm watching the chemical reaction take place over there on the bench, or I'm over here and I'm watching this couple in the room have a conversation, I don't think that I'm having any impact on this. I'm just here observing this. And what we don't recognize is that we have been made in such a way that we can't not influence settings in which we enter into the room. Now, in some respects, you know, the degree to which we interact with that setting is much more limited. I can probably watch a chemical reaction in a chemistry lab that would happen pretty much in the same way that it would if I were or weren't in the lab for the most part. If you got real technical about it, you would say, no, there were, there would probably be quantum differences in what's happening in the room between me and whatever those things are that are going on in the chemistry lab. But when you're sitting in the room with your two children who are fighting with each other, or if I'm sitting in the room with a couple who are having to, you know, work things out and and they turn to me and look at me and like, you know, could you please tell him that like I'm right and he's wrong? (laughs) Or vice versa, <laughs> right. right? Suddenly, like, you realize, like, no, there is an interpersonal domain. Like, I am, I am the, the, the way the world is working is that I am having influence in the world. Like, it is a domain that exists whether we want it to or not. And so we come then to some really crucial questions when we recognize that even right down to the quantum mechanics of it, that your presence in the world matters, and we don't have to insert that significance. It's just there. The question is: are we awake to it? Are we alert to it? Are we attuned to it? When Jesus in Matthew chapter five says to his listeners, You are the light of the world, we may have talked about this before. That when I hear this, when I hear this phrase, this notion that when Jesus said, You're the light of the world, who would light a lamp and stick it under a bushel? no one. And so I hear him say, Kurt, you're the light of the world. Don't screw it up, right? But I think as we've said here before, perhaps, like, no, Jesus is saying you are utterly illuminating, which means that when you walk into the room, your light is going to, like, it's going to mean something to people. But if I myself think that if I'm walking around believing that actually I'm siloed, That I walk into a room and nobody sees me? It certainly changes my own response to me. It changes my response to the other. It changes my awareness of like we-ness. I don't sense that. I don't see that. But when I am paying attention to we-ness, when I'm paying attention to the fact that we are connected and the question is going to be when I walk in the room, whose life is going to be made more beautiful because now I'm in their life with them? That's the question. You know, we, uh, we do a lot of work here in our practice in what we call confessional communities, otherwise known in, in most circles as group therapy. And we do a lot of work believing that when people are in these communities that there's so much more that can get done than if you're seeing a therapist individually. There are reasons for that, but one of the most poignant moments that happens over and over and over again for any number of different people is you know before a person enters into the group and we're kind of getting a sense of whether or not they're ready to start a group or be part of a group well I will tell them, I really want you to know that not only do I think the group is going to be helpful for you, but I think you're going to be helpful for the group. but I want you to know that the way you're going to be helpful is might not be the way you think when we're going to help somebody, we typically think we're going to help by offering them yes, I see the smile on your face. Take it from there. <laughs> offering them advice and help and right. words of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and truly, Pepper, you have been a help in many times of trouble for me by offering those very things. But I tell them, it's not that your wit and your wisdom won't be helpful. They will be, but they won't be the most powerful thing. The most powerful way that you're going to be helpful for someone else is by your vulnerability, is when you put language to the parts about yourself that you hate the most when you're willing to open the door to the room where all your shame lives. And of course they're Hmm. like, you're whacked. You're, you're absolutely whacked. And these are not perhaps mutually exclusive realities. I mean, I may be, but it's still true that it is in our vulnerability that we actually shed light. We bring light into the room. And it is in that moment that we recognize that, oh my goodness, part of how I discovered joy is that I'm able to share my vulnerability with someone else. That joy comes not as a self-contained thing that I just have by myself. Joy comes explicitly because I am intentionally looking to be connected with the other. And especially in those moments when I'm having to do work of repairing ruptures with the other. Especially when I'm having to do work with someone who I see as Totally different than me, so it's not hard for you all this morning to think about. Well, who are the people? Who are the people in the world for you that are different? Who are politically different? Who are ethnically different? Who are economically different? All the ways who like you're married to them and they're really different, and so forth and so on. Who are the people? Where are the people where there have been wounds? And by wounds, I don't mean not not just that you know if, if you've been traumatized. I'm not talking about you're having to go make up with somebody who's traumatized you, but where there have been relational breaches that you want to be healed, recognizing that life and beauty and goodness are to be found in this sense of connection with others. And so we find in these confessional communities that their life that they live in other domains outside of this confessional community is made all the richer because of the work that they're actually doing in the confessional community, naming who they are, and receiving the reality of the others in the room. And in this way, they're practicing, recognizing how the world really most powerfully, most beautifully works.
0: So I wanna take this opportunity to tell you folks about uh, the Center for Being Known. And uh, actually I have Kurt tell you about the Center of Being Known. They have an event coming up and uh, I'm excited about it personally. Kurt, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the Center for Being Known and about this event that you have that you're planning.
1: Thanks Pep. Most of you will not be aware that for a number of years uh, In Hibernation has been a small nonprofit organization called the Center for Being Known. And we exist for the mission of being able to create a space where People can come together and be connected. Anyone who really has an interest or a vested stake in what's taking place in life at this intersection between interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. And as it turns out, that's not just something that applies to psychotherapy or the mental health field. We believe that this place of convergence of neuroscience and spiritual formation is something that has application deeply in many realms, in fact, every realm of vocational domain that we occupy. So whether you're in church ministry or you're in education or you're running a law practice or an accounting firm or you're a carpenter or you're a truck driver, whatever it is, if you're a gardener or a farmer, whatever it is, we want this to be a space where you can come together and be connected with like-minded people who are asking the questions, how can these questions of neuroscience and spiritual formation speak into my life in practical ways that I can then take away and then apply this and actually even create a community of my own who can both exercise and engage and apply these principles in our own particular domains of life. And to that end, CBK, as we call it, the Center for Being Known, will be having its inaugural annual conference virtually on October 22nd, Friday, October 22nd, this coming year, this coming fall 2021. And we would invite you all to be there. You can find out more information about this by looking online at thecbk.org, thecbk.org We expect that this is going to be an opportunity for people of a wide range of different communities, different vocational callings to come together to be nourished in this way of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. In fact, we're going to have four speakers, including myself, four other speakers who will be giving us a window into how they are applying this work one in ministry, one in education, one in leadership and one in the field of psychotherapy. Each of them, uh, people that I know personally and that are really skilled at applying this kind of work. And so with that in mind, I wanna invite you all to consider doing that again, October 22nd, 2021, our first annual CBK conference called Connections. Please join us there. Excellent. So you can find out more at the CBK.org.
0: You know, I, I, fe- I feel like you, you were saying you find joy in repairing the rupture that's where the you know to me it's you find joy once the rupture is repaired but you're saying that you find life beauty and goodness in the actual repairing of
1: the rupture Right. right right so you know it it would make sense that If I have a hard thing to do, if I have a hard thing, mean, we'll just, let's just take an example. Um, if you're a third-year medical student and you find yourself in the ER and they, they, they bring in somebody who's been in a major motor vehicle accident, multiple traumas, you're pretty overwhelmed and you're glad that there are attending physicians in the room that are going to help you do your work. And so the attending physician, she starts to run, you know, she starts to run the trauma protocol in the ER and then they move it to the surgical suite and she's still running that uh, protocol and you're learning along the way, but you're glad that you're not in charge. And like, if someone were to thrust the third year medical student into that situation, they'd be overwhelmed. Like, I wouldn't want to think about doing that, but you go from third year to fourth year to first year surgical residence, second, third, fourth, fifth year surgical, chief, you see how this goes at some point. We all know that there's going to be a little bit of anxiety, but like you know that like if as, as you gather competence, as you gather experience in repairing ruptures, you discover that, yes, of course, I'm going to be relieved when it's all done. Of course, the surgeon is glad when we know that the patient is in the recovery room, they've done well, but that surgeon actually begins to envision A surgeon sees beauty long before it ever gets out of the OR. And we then begin to practice going to look for opportunities to repair ruptures. Not because ruptures themselves are fun. Not because we would want for anyone to be in motor vehicle accidents. But because we, we know that The God who has made us in his image, this we-ness, can't live without us. God doesn't want to live without us. He wouldn't, like, in fact... He's not even going to let death get in the way of it. He'd rather die than be separated from us. And so he does. Because he knows that something else is coming. He walks into the OR... And he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows what he's going to do. And it's going to catch all of us off guard. And it begins, it begins with his deep awareness that we are an interpersonally connected set of people. Now, one one really important thing to say here, Pep, is that, you know, some might be, some of you all might be listening and thinking, well, gosh, with all this wee crap, like, do I, you know, do I just, you know, disappear? Do I just disappear? You know, I, I you know, I've just become like a little drop of water in the ocean. And this is where Christian anthropology is so beautiful. He's like, no. No, absolutely not. In fact, the more deeply connected we are with others, the more we become aware of their uniqueness. And the more I become aware, the more the pepper, the more I see myself in your eyes, the more of me, who I really am, I become acquainted with. Hmm. And so it's, it's a paradox because like, I'm so afraid that I'm just going to get swallowed in the vastness of the ocean. And in fact, we become that much more aware of the distinct things. I, um, you know, I've got this, uh, got this book that's coming in October that we'll talk about soon enough. And I'm, I'm just so, uh, honored and touched because, uh, the, Japanese American painter Makoto Fujimura has, is writing the foreword, and we're going to have four of his prints in the book. And it's just, you know, it's pretty overwhelming. And when you when you look at his work, this this Japanese art form of Nihonga, N I H O N G A, it's this abstract work that uses all of this pulverized mineral, and it's it's hand pulverized. And it's and he specially lays these different minerals on the canvas. And like you can't believe what you're seeing. It's unbelievable. It's so beautiful. Right. It's so beautiful. You can't believe what you're seeing. But what's so interesting is that like the whole canvas, like the weeness of all the color, mm. is made what it is because of the distinction of each of the minerals that are overlaid on the canvas. And you get this deeply felt sense of like, of course this is like, you see the whole thing. You wouldn't want to just have, right, just one of those minerals. Like they're they're beautiful in themselves, but you want them to be together, but you want them to be together in this way in which they're matched with each other, differentiated, right? But their differentiation is made that much more special because of the presence of all the other minerals. And so even in our... You know, it. you know, again, we could, we could jump from example to example, like redwood forests, right? They are, uh, they are together. Like you could look at any single redwood and it's like unbelievable. But the reason it's even able to do it is because it's all the root system is connected together underground with all the other redwoods that are growing up. And so it only gets to be what it is, this one massive tree, because it's connected to all the other trees. Hmm. And so it is in that sense that we, we then, you know, when we, when we think about what are we doing in our lives, when, what kind of practical value would this have for us, we think about who are the people that we long to be connected with? Some of you all may be listening to this and you might not easily name somebody. You might say, well, I would long to be connected with, you know, John or with Sarah, but like, I can't imagine that they would want to be connected to me and i would want to say that there's nobody that i know that doesn't long to be longed for there's nobody that i know that wouldn't love to hear from someone i just really want to know more about you and i would really love to share more of me with you because i want to live into this weenness and witness in order for all of us to be more particularly who we each are as individuals.
0: I was just thinking about uh, the lyrics to a, a song that I, I said, it's, it's not a new song, but it's it's something that I just discovered somehow popped up on my Spotify or something. Um, it's a Pearl Jam song and there's a lyric and he said, he sings, uh, I'm a lucky man because I can count on both hands the one I love, the ones I love. Some folks they have one, others they have none, uh-huh. and it's just it's heartbreaking to think wow. of those people that have none, right? That right. have, and there are people that have none. There right. are people that have none.
1: You know, I think in this time of COVID, and we're now uh, depending upon you know what part of the country you're in, you know at what time in 2020 it reached your shores the shores of your city or your county wherever you live there's no question that in the last 3 months even even as we've you know we've obtained vaccines mm-hmm. people are starting to be more connected physically in greater and greater numbers and there's greater hopefulness there is also as we're pulling the curtain back, you know, we're just seeing more evidence of the devastation that it has brought for so many people. I'm thinking of a friend of mine whose child, uh, high school senior who was just top of their class as a junior. Everything you could imagine that they were, you name it. Uh, f- f- you know, four point something student because they don't have enough A's to give to them. Right. Eagle Scout. All the whole every, every everything and and they're not the same person because they've been so cut off and uh, I think of the number of people who have, whose lives have really become made much much more difficult and it is a testimony pepper yeah to the fact that we are we yeah as much as we'd like to think that we could get away from it. And as much as we've actually, in the last 20 years, been practicing trying to get away from people, whether we've done it or not, especially, not to indict it, but especially in our social media, right? I can just lob all kinds of grenades out into the social media, you know, uh, field, and, you know, and then I don't, I don't have to be accountable for that. I, I, don't, I can just do whatever. Like, I forget that what I'm doing is I'm acting like a Redwood who's cutting off my roots from the other trees in the forest because, you know, I don't like the way you look. And and before you know it, like, why is it that my branches are starting to wilt? Right. And so I would love for us all to be, uh, you know, doing a couple things. One is, uh, you know, just some practical things. Like in the next month, you can do this for the next four weeks. Each week, I want you to think and and, and this, uh, this is not complicated, but it won't be easy. Okay. And that is, number one, um, I would like for you to think of one person that you could write to them as a way of making contact, write to them. And, you know, if you're willing and able to write them a hand note, a handwritten note to uh, tell them what it is about them that you're grateful for. Because in so doing, you are connecting. You are kind of like, whether you know it or not, even if you're offering gratitude to them, you're actually, in many respects, you're bringing them a meal, right? They're like you and Nell, right? It's this group that's bringing you a meal. You're bringing them a meal. Because when someone gives you a thank you note, they're, they're like, they're giving you a meal. And especially if they tell you, here's exactly why I'm grateful for you. And if you do it on a handwritten note, it's kind of like you've gone to the trouble of like you didn't just go to Chick-fil-A and pick up some fast food. Like you baked bread for them. Right. And in that note that you thank them, there's one more thing that I want to invite you to consider doing. I want to invite you to consider saying, here's the thing that I'm thankful for you and here's the part of my life that wouldn't be what it is. This is the part of my life that actually needed that from you. i want to thank you for what you did. So you're going to name what they did, what they've been to you. But you're also going to name what is it about me that so deeply needs and responds to and and feels loved by, with the particular part of me that feels loved by you. So it's a two-part activity that's all wrapped into one thank you note. And for the next four weeks, I want you to pick a person every week you can this, this might be a person that you're in touch with. This might be a person that you're not in touch with very often. But the things that you're going to name, I want them to be things that you haven't named for them. That we're going to think about things that are really meaningful. And these are small steps in which we are actually in embodied ways taking active steps to affirm and live into the way the world is made. This is this is like, oh, I'm gonna take the elevator down the nine floors to the parking lot. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna go out my my ninth floor window. I'm gonna live the way the world was made to live. And I wanna say to you, like when we do this, when we live with the awareness that we are connected to people, you walk into the room and like you're assuming, you're knowing that like they They might not even know it, but they can't wait to hear my voice say, it's so good to see you. And you watch what happens, right? You watch what happens when you thank somebody or somebody thanks you for something. You just say, wait, I just want to take that in. And they're like looking around because this is weird, right? But they're they're looking and you know, you're like, I'm not just like passing in the night, this compliment that you pitched to me. No, I'm going to take it in, I'm going to ingest, I'm going to digest, I'm going to metabolize this. And I'm doing it not just for me, I'm doing it for us. Because everything that we do that strengthens the we-ness and the with-ness in our communities means that the next COVID that we have to deal with, whatever form that takes, we are going to be a far more resilient bunch will be able to withstand in that space. When Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. He doesn't just say, but like, but it'll be all right. He says, be of good cheer. He says actively, even in the face of tribulation, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I, he doesn't say be of good cheer because I'm going to give you your five quick steps to uh, self-efficacy. I'm going to give you your three quick steps to rule, you know, to ruling the world. Here's, you know, what the, here's the next set of things that you on your own can do. No, because I have done this. We can know together that you can be a good cheer. You're a good cheer because I am with you because I'm never going to leave you or forsake you because you are yoked to me in my yoke because you've picked up your cross and we're carrying these crosses together now. And it is in those spaces, of course, of suffering wherein which when we are connected to each other, it is in those places where beauty emerges the likes of which we would never be able to imagine otherwise, especially if I thought I was responsible for somehow making this Happen all by myself. If any single one of those minerals were to think to itself, I somehow have to carry the weight of this painting. Right. But in the hand of Mako, Fujimura, they know that they are a canvas of weeness and withness. And in that spirit, each mineral itself is put on its full display in ways that it otherwise never could be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so blessed that I get to be a part of the we on this particular podcast, Kurt, and I Hmm. say that in full sincerity. I I feel like um, I'm learning every week and um, growing as I try to put this more into practice. And I'm, I'm, mm. I'm grateful for you. Mm. And mm. if you need my address, I got you. if you need my address to send that letter, I'll get, yeah. it, I'll get it to you afterwards. Okay. <laughs> Actually, you can take it off of the well, return of the dress, the letter that I sent you.
1: <laughs> Fair enough? I love that. Yeah. I love that, but you, you weren't supposed to say that because like I, I was gonna get it from Amy and that way, like you wouldn't know, you, you think, wouldn't know that it's coming. I don't think she has it either. So,
0: <laughs> I mean, I want to be known, but I don't want to be located. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As usual. I love Kurt, that. Go ahead. You wanted to say uh, something uh, else.
1: I just said, I love that. I, I, I'm just thinking it's, it's a new phrase, how to be known but not located, but never, (laughs) but never located. That's the podcast in which you can be truly known, but never located.
0: Yes. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) until next time, I appreciate you.
1: My brother. Love you so much. Until Um, next time. Love you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson pepper sweeney and myself amy chella audio production and music is by keaton simons if you'd like to connect with us you can visit us on our website beingknownpodcast.com or you can find us on social media at being known pod be well be known